If you have your Bible today, let's go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, and let's jump right in. I kind of gave you an idea with our boys and girls where we're headed today. We'll start in 15, we'll spend the bulk of our time today in chapter 16. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 says that after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, this has been his missionary partner, as you may remember through his first missionary journey. He says to Barnabas, let's go back. And let's visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. These are new believers. These are new churches that were formed in that first mission trip that Paul and Barnabas had taken in that part of the world that at that time was known as Galatia. So they want to follow up on them. Verse 37 says Barnabas agreed and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and he sailed for Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas as he left. The believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now, what might look like division on earth, and certainly was division on earth, actually in heaven was multiplication, because now we've got two separate mission teams that are going out. And to kind of get you acquainted with what's happening here, let's put our map up here on the wall so you can see that. And the first thing I want you to see is Paul's first missionary journey, which we already looked at some weeks ago. This is where he and Barnabas and for part of that time, John Mark had gone. But now there's this second missionary journey, and Barnabas is going to sail over to Cyprus. But Paul and his new partner, Silas, they're going to go by land. They're going to go from Antioch, you see up there, kind of to the right hand of the screen. And by land, they're going to go, for the first part, kind of where they've already been, until they reach the northern part up there. And I want to point out a couple of places to you. First, Paul's going to want to hang a right, and he's going to want to go east into Bithynia. And God's not going to let him go that way. If he had gone that way, it would have been a good thing. He would have encountered a lot of great people and a lot of great places, typically that today end in the word or the letters A-N or S-T-A-N, like Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan and Kazakhstan and so forth. We don't know exactly why God didn't give Paul freedom to hang a right and to go east, but it's certainly not to keep the gospel from those people. The gospel was going to those people and would continue to go to those people, but it wasn't God's will that Paul would be the person that would take the gospel to those people at that time. Probably one of the main reasons for that is because God wants Paul to go the other direction because Rome is in the other direction, and at that time, Rome is the center of the world. Now, remember, by this time, the gospel has already been circulating around the Middle East. It had already gone to Africa. The church is definitely on the move. Now, let me point out one other place on the map before we go away from that. And that's this place called Philippi. And you can see that up there. God says, we're not going to Bithynia. He's going to send him instead over to this place called Philippi. And that's going to be what we're talking about today in chapter 16. Everything that happens in chapter 16 today, for the most part, takes place in that city. All right, so here we go. In Acts chapter 16, God's about to take Paul and his team on a new journey. Aren't you thankful for new journeys? Some of you don't like new journeys. Some of you don't like new stuff. But some of you do. And we all ought to be excited when it's God that has a new thing for us. And when God wants us to go on a new journey. And sometimes going on new journeys means that we need to have new partners. We need new partners sometimes. I want to say this. Be open to God bringing new people 
into your life, people that you have not known yet on your journey. Be open to those new people coming in and alongside of you. Position yourself intentionally to be around other people that you don't know. Position yourself to get outside of your comfort zone and get to know other people. God might just surprise you. Some of you would be wise if you got outside of your group. For a little while and got around some different people got around some new people or at the very least invited some new people into your group why because we get stagnant don't we we just kind of get stuck in a rut and we need some fresh water from the lives of other people flowing into our lives so that then there's a new freshness in us that can flow from us into the lives of other people so in chapter 16 god is going to give paul some new partners New people in this ministry, and those new partners are going to be a blessing to Paul, and he's going to be a blessing to him. Can you imagine if Paul just said, no, I'm just going to stick with the people that I've always known? Right? Those people would have missed out. Paul would have missed out. Let's not do that. Let's be open to new people and new partners in the ministry. So let's look at that. First of all, these new partners. The first new partner that God gives Paul is this man by the name of Silas. We're told that in chapter 15. Verse 40, that he's going to be the partner that's going to go with Paul on the second missionary trip. Who is Silas? Well, Silas was one of the church leaders back in Jerusalem. Paul had probably met Silas. You might remember there was this big controversy. Uh, they had to take that to the leaders at Jerusalem to talk about, okay, do the Gentiles have to become Jewish to really be saved? And so Paul and some of his companions went to Jerusalem to have that conversation with the church leaders there. And that's probably where he met Silas. Silas was a faithful and valuable member of the church there at Jerusalem. So much faithful, so uh, trustworthy that the church at Jerusalem, when they sent Paul and Barnabas to take the news of their decision that no, the, the Gentiles don't have to become Jewish people in order to be made right with God. And they sent Paul back to Antioch to deliver that message. They sent Silas along with him. So Silas begins then to accompany Paul to Antioch. And so apparently from that, Paul discerns that Silas is going to be a good ministry partner for him on the next mission trip. But Paul's going to pick up another ministry partner, a new one as well, not just Silas. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. And Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he gives us a pretty fair amount of background information on this young man, Timothy. He says his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy's mom and dad, they came from different places, different backgrounds, different Worlds. Mom was Jewish. Dad was Greek. Scholars tend to think that Timothy's father was, was deceased by this time. It's possible maybe even that uh, Timothy was brought to faith in Christ during Paul's first missionary journey. That Paul met him there. And as a young man, Paul had heard the gospel and he had surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus. Verse 2 makes it clear that God has been doing a great work in this young man's life since Paul first met him on that first missionary journey. Verse 2 says about Timothy, he was well thought of by the believers, by the church. They thought well of this young man in Lystra and Iconium. Timothy's not very old. He's probably in his 20s. He could be even in his late teens. But he's already 
a strong leader in his local church. The Bible's clear here that the men and the women in that church, they looked up to Timothy. They held him in high regard, much like many of us do, the college students that God has blessed us with, the young people that God has blessed us with here at Grace Life. Look at verse 3. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. So this is Paul and Silas and Timothy now, right? And in deference to the Jews, verse 3, in deference to the Jews of the area, or, or out of respect for the Jews in the area, Paul arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy's mom and his grandmother, they had taught him the Jewish faith, right? But his father was a Greek. He didn't share that faith, and he had not had Timothy circumcised. And so Paul now believes that it's important for Timothy to be circumcised at this point. Now, why is that? Well, Paul's strategy, as you probably remember, in spreading the gospel to all these other places is to go first to the Jewish people. He would first find a Jewish synagogue that he would go in. And because of who he was as a Pharisee, because he had been trained in the greatest uh, Pharisee training school under Gamaliel, he would be invited to speak in those synagogues. And so that then gave him a platform for the gospel to be heard. But now to have a young man like Timothy, who's not circumcised, as his partner in the ministry, could, content, could potentially create an unnecessary barrier between Paul delivering the gospel to the Jewish people in these places. So we've got to be clear here. Timothy's not being circumcised because there's pressure from within the church to do that. They've already locked up that whole argument that was going on. That's not necessary to be saved. So this is not because of pressure within the church. This is because Paul sees an opportunity outside the church to reach people with the gospel. And Paul doesn't want anything to stand in the way of people having an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, before they start out on this new journey with these new partners, Paul and his new partners, they go to the places where he had first gone to. That's what he told Barnabas he wanted to do, right? Let's go back and let's check on these people, these new believers, these new churches that they had visited on their first mission trip. So this is taking them through what's today Syria and Turkey. And then look at verse 4. So in those places where they'd already been, right, they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So they're, they're reporting to these churches where there's Jewish and Gentile believers what the decision was that had been made in Jerusalem. They're sharing that good news. What is that good news? That you're made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to become any other nationality. There's no boxes to check. Christ has done it all. Verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger Every day. That's exciting. Now, having strengthened the churches in those places, now it's time for the new partners to go to new places where the gospel hasn't been yet. Think of how exciting that is. People that have never heard the gospel, people that have never heard of Jesus, and Paul and his new ministry partner, Silas and Timothy, they're about to go to these new places. Well, let's look at these new places. Verse 6, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia 
at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Remember, they wanted to hang a right. They wanted to go east, and God's going, no, no, we're not going that direction. So instead, verse 8, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Verse 9, that night, Paul had a vision. A man from, from Macedonia in northern Greece. So we're not going to Asia. We're going instead to Greece. And he has this vision that this man over in Greece is standing there pleading with him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Luke says, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. Having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. And look at verse 11. Luke says, we... I need to just stop here and say there's another new ministry partner that God's brought to the team here. Luke, the writer of Acts, is now right there with Paul and with Silas and with Timothy. You say, how do you know that? Because now he's using the word we. This is no longer they and them, but it's us and it's we. He says, verse 11, we boarded a boat at Troas and we sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. Now, why is that important? This little place called Neapolis, why is that important? Because this is when the gospel touches down on the continent of Europe. This is a big deal. Just like it was a big deal the day we saw the Ethiopian take the gospel to the continent of Africa. The gospel now has reached Europe. Verse 12, from there, he says, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there Several days. Now listen, they might have only stayed there several days. But what happens in chapter 16 of the book of Acts is a major outbreaking of the power of God's Holy Spirit. And it led to a lot of new Christians being saved. So what are we looking at here so far? We got new partners. We're going to new places. And there's new Christians coming to know the Lord. The first one is a businesswoman. She's very successful. She's very affluent. Verse 13, Luke says, On the Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. It's the Sabbath, right? Normally Paul would be in a synagogue. This is how he would always start to share the gospel in a city. But on this day, it's the Sabbath. He's not in a synagogue. They go outside the city to a riverbank. Why? He says, we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. You say, what, what's going on here? Well, well, normally in other towns where Paul had gone, there would be a Jewish synagogue that was there. And on the Sabbath, he would go into that synagogue. He would be surrounded by Jewish people. And he would be invited to speak, to introduce himself, share some greetings, share some words. And that would open up an opportunity for him to share the gospel. That Jesus, the Messiah, has come. That he lived a sinless life. That he died on the cross to take away our sin. And God has raised him from the dead. But in Philippi, there's no synagogue. So Paul's M.O. is not happening now in this place. Why? Well, we're getting a little further away from Israel, right? So we're going to see fewer and fewer synagogues as we get further away from the heart of Judaism. And Jewish law required that there had to be, to form a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 male household leaders. 10 different heads of household, male heads of household. If you had that, you had enough men, you had enough families to start a synagogue. And in the event that there wasn't enough 
men to form a synagogue, then the Jewish worshipers were instructed to go and worship outside the city, under the open sky, near a body of water. This explains why Paul went outside the city that day. He knew there's no synagogue. If there's any Jewish people in this place, where are we going to find them? We're going to find them outside the city, under the open sky, near some water. So this explains this gathering of women, right? In Acts chapter 16, they want to practice Judaism. They want to worship God, but there's not enough Jewish men there to form a synagogue. So they've gone outside the city under the open sky to pray and to worship God beside this river. And apparently, it's only women there. So you can imagine these four male missionaries from far away kind of stood out like a Michigan fan yesterday in Atlanta, right? Did you see the guy? I don't know if he was watching the, all the pregame stuff, but he had on his Michigan Mays shirt in the midst of all the Alabama and Georgia fans. Well, that's the way Paul and his three missionary partners probably stood out that day at the riverbank. Verse 14 says about these people, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive, expensive is a key word here, This is her business. She's a merchant in that industry of expensive purple cloth. She's from Thyatira, which is probably sort of like the Paris of her day. Thyatira was a place that was famous for its production of purple dye and expensive fabrics. Purple dye was was rare. It was precious. It was valuable. It was expensive. Why? Because purple garments weren't worn by the common people like me and you. Purple garments were worn by the people who were wealthy. In fact, even more than that, you know that purple garments were worn by royalty. And that's the business that Lydia is in. She's maybe like the Vera Wang of her day. Don't ask me who that is. I had to Google some information to find that out. I don't just walk around with that packed in here, all right? Just trying to be relevant as best as I can. But this thing is true about Lydia. She's doing well for herself. In the fashion and the fabric industry. She's probably got a home, not only in Philippi, but she probably also has a a home in Thyatira. And she's a commuter in between those major cities. This lady is killing it in her business, in her industry. And she's there at the river that day. What was she doing? Luke says that she's there to worship God. At, At least as she understood him to be at that time. She didn't know him in full, but she's going to a prayer meeting with these ladies on the Sabbath. She apparently has turned away from the polytheistic gods that were so popular in the Roman Empire, and she has found this one God of the Jewish people to be interesting and attractive in some way to her. Undoubtedly, what this is is the Holy Spirit is drawing her to Jesus. In fact, we see that as we go on in verse 14. Luke says, as she listened to us. You just see this, all right? Here's these four people, these four men, and here's Paul, and he's sharing the gospel. And as she listened to us, Luke said, the Lord opened her heart. That's salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation does not happen unless the Lord opens up a heart. I can't explain how God does all that he does, but I do know that nobody comes to God unless the Holy Spirit draws them. 
There's an opening of the heart. And if you know the Lord today, you ought to be most thankful for that and most grateful that the God, looked, the God of the heavens looked down on you, a sinner, and he opened your heart that you might be saved. The Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. She says, if you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Now, this is even more evidence of just how successful Lydia is. She's got a household. She's got servants. She has people that she is in charge of, that she has influence over. They also became followers of Jesus. They also followed him in believer's baptism. And she's got room in her house, not just for all of her people and her servants, but she's also got room for these four missionaries from far away. Listen, if a church is going to get started in a place like Philippi, it's going to need ladies. And it's going to need ladies like Lydia to help. I'm so grateful today that God loves and saves people like Lydia, aren't you? Because most of us, we would say today that if we really thought about this story a moment, we, we really resemble Lydia in a lot of ways. Most of us in here today, our testimony is that we were living a pretty good life, honorable life, moral life. We, we liked God. We liked his people for the most part. We did the church thing and kind of hung around with church people. We, we might have even claimed to be Christians because when we compared ourselves to the way a lot of other people in the world live, live their lives, we kind of thought of ourselves, well, we stack up pretty good here. But in the middle of all of our own self-righteousness, in his grace, Jesus stepped in, didn't he? And just like he did for Lydia, he opened up our hearts to understand that good people like us are just as separated from a relationship with God as whom you may deem the very worst in the world. We all stand in need of a Savior. And Jesus stepped in and he shattered our veneer of religion and self-righteousness and he called us to surrender our entire lives to him. Why did that happen? Because he first loved us. Why did that happen? Because he opened our hearts that we might be saved. Churches today, including ours, churches all over the land, are filled today with people like Lydia. Good, moral, successful Respected people who don't know Jesus, who've never surrendered their lives to Christ. You probably know people like that. They like God. They like church. But they've never truly, fully surrendered their lives to Jesus. You either know somebody like that today, or you are that somebody. And as you sit here today, it could even be that the Holy Spirit is opening your heart. To realize that all of your goodness, that all of your churchiness, that all of the good boxes that you have checked, they're not enough to make you right with God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. Now, here's the good news. God loves Lydia. 
And God loves people like Lydia. God loves people like Paul. You talk about self-righteous. He's the poster child for self-righteous before he came to know Christ, right? Paul loves Pharisees. He loves affluent, good people like Lydia and like me and you. And gave his life for people like that. He did for Lydia. He did for you. I want you to see that Paul's ministry doesn't stop there. Next, we meet a lady, second lady. And, and her life is on the far other end of the spectrum of society from Lydia. She's a slave girl, probably horribly abused young lady who had been trafficked as a slave, who was possessed by a demon. And when Paul meets this young lady, She's, she's way off the edge. She's in a bad place. She's a living, breathing sideshow in somebody's circus. We don't know her story, but at some point early on, she had been taken as a slave, perhaps. We don't even want to imagine how young this little girl was when this horrible sequence of events began to happen to her. But early on in her life, her heart had been ripped apart. And this lost soul was laid waste by man and by demons alike. And Luke tells us about her in verse 16. He says, one day as we're going down to the place of prayer, back to that original spot by the river, right? He says, one day we met a slave girl who had a spirit, a.k.a. demon, that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, this sounds helpful, but it's not. Probably because of the way in which this was being said, maybe with a tone of mockery. But it wasn't her saying it. You know who it was saying it? It was the demon inside of her saying this. Paul later would say, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We need to remember that today. Luke says in verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Not because of Paul. Not because of the name of Paul. It was the name of Jesus. The name above all other names. Now I need to point out here that it's significant, I think, that the first people in Europe that Paul shares the gospel with are women. You know what this tells me? Paul's no longer acting like a Jewish Pharisee. Jewish Pharisees were beyond stooping to the level to teach spiritual truths to women. But Paul has abandoned that old misogynistic system. And now he is an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus has come to save men and women. From every tongue and tribe and nation. Listen, this idea that's kind of 
circulating around that Christianity, at least true biblical Christianity, is oppressive to women. That's the most ridiculous nonsense. The gospel of Jesus Christ has brought and is today bringing true freedom to women all over the world. Rich and successful women like Lydia and oppressed and abused women like this young girl. Now about this young girl, I think it's reasonable to believe that on this day God saved her. Paul commands the devil to leave, the demon to leave. And if he followed, if Paul followed the teaching of Jesus, then he understood if you cast out this demon and that void in her heart and soul isn't filled up with God and His Holy Spirit, then you're just leaving space for even more demons to come and to fill that young woman. So I think on this day, the Holy Spirit entered her and changed her and she couldn't make the money for her masters anymore as their little freak show. And that's what starts Paul and Silas on the path to prison, by the way. Because the slave girl being set free by Jesus wasn't good for her old slave owner's business. And he doesn't take that lying down. Verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten severely means a lot here i'll leave it to your imagination and not only were they beaten but then they were thrown into prison the jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks all of this right because in the name of jesus a demon possessed slave girl have been set free. And here they are, in the middle of the prison, beaten, half dead, suffering greatly. And a lot of you here today, you know that trusting God in the middle of your suffering is not easy. Maybe it wasn't city officials that beat you with rods and threw you into prison, but life has dealt its fair share of beatdowns to you. And it's tough. And here they are in prison, nearly dead, and it's midnight. And it's going to be a long and a painful and a sleepless night. And some of you had that kind of night last night or this week. Long, painful, sleepless. And like you, there was nothing they could do to change their situation either. So you know what they did? Look at verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were, what were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. In other words, they were having church in the middle of their suffering. And the other prisoners were listening. Listen, if I'm hurting too much to sleep, I'm going to keep you all up praying and singing, all right? And suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner 
fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. Not just Paul and Silas. None of those prisoners. These weren't good people for the most part. Most of these people deserved to be where they were. But what had they been hearing Paul and Silas do? Praying and singing and worshiping God. And when they had the chance to walk out of a physical prison, they chose instead to stay in a physical prison and to be spiritually free. Isn't this amazing? Paul says, don't, don't kill yourself, bro, because we're all here. Nobody left. The jailer, of course, he can't believe that. He called for lights and he ran to the dungeon. And he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'm walking around like a free man, but I'm the one that's a prisoner. And I want to be set free. What do I have to do to be saved? And they replied, well, you got to become Jewish. <laughs> no. They didn't take a beat down to make people Jewish. They took a beat down because Jesus saves. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and he washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced. There's rejoicing in Philippi, by the way. You, are you catching this theme of Philippi? You're going to see it next week because we're going to, God willing, we're going to unpack the book of Philippians right here at Christmas time. And there's a whole lot of joy packed in here. There's a whole lot of new Christians in Philippi that nothing's robbing them of their joy. And Paul's got something to say about it when he follows up with this letter to them later on. And there's this rejoicing. Why? Because they all believe in God. God didn't send that earthquake to set Paul and Silas free. God sent that earthquake to set the other prisoners free. He sent that earthquake to set the jailer and his family free. God did all of that for salvation. You know, oftentimes our trials, maybe today, maybe the suffering that you're in today is for somebody else. That somebody might see Christ in you. That they might look at you and go, now how is this person with a family that's going down the drain? Or how is this person that's battling stage 4 cancer? How is this person that's just gotten this diagnosis? How is this person who's just lost their job? How is this person still trusting God? Why do they still love Jesus like that? What a living, breathing witness of the gospel. That you and I and our suffering might be to somebody else. And Paul and Silas knew that this wasn't God sending a miracle to make their lives more pleasant. I'm afraid in our modern day Americanized version of Christianity, that's what we think miracles are supposed to do. Make my life better. Make my life more pleasant. That's not how they saw this miracle. God did all of that to save other people. They knew that God was up to something far more important than getting them out of that dungeon. God was reaching down to save other people from a spiritual dungeon, an eternal dungeon of hell. So this is the new journey with new people in new places. Sign me up. Amen. Amen. And there's a growing number of new Christians in Philippi.
But, but we got to get this too before we walk out of chapter 16 because if we don't get this, we won't understand how there's a church there later on. If these citizens are going to be like Paul and Silas were unjustly treated for being followers of Christ, then the future of this church is not a good one. And so I believe for the sake of the church and for the sake of the gospel, Paul does what Paul does next. Here's what he does. Paul faithfully stewards his Roman citizenship for the glory of God. Let me say that again. You're about to watch Paul show us an example of how to steward our earthly citizenship. For the glory of God. Watch what happens. Luke says, verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials that said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. The people that beat you and put you in prison, they said, you can get out of here. But Paul replied, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Paul says, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we're Roman citizens. We have laws to protect us, to help us, to guard us from this type of behavior from the authorities. They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison and we're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Huh. No, hold on. Didn't we read a couple of weeks ago that Paul wrote, you were submit to submit to all those in authority? But Paul isn't submitting here to the city officials. They said, get out of town. And Paul's saying, no, sir. Not yet. Remember, Romans 13.1 says, everyone must submit. And everyone means everyone. There are laws in the land that even the authorities must submit to. And in Acts chapter 16, the laws in Rome have been violated by those in authority. And Paul is not going to let them get away with it. It was a violation of Roman law to do what they had done. To Paul and to Silas. And for the sake of a civil society like God intends. And for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of new believers in Philippi. Paul will not be silent about this kind of injustice. See by making these officials realize that they were in the wrong toward their citizens. Paul was ensuring that they would not cause trouble in the future. For the Christians in Philippi. And for himself. That if he ever wanted to come back. And preach the gospel in this place. And disciple the believers in that place. That they would not give him any more trouble. So Paul stood on his civil rights. In order to protect the church. And the cause of Christ in that city. Now you ought to know this. Paul could have had those authorities' heads on a platter. They could have been executed for the crime that they had committed. 
Paul could have had them beaten with rods like they beat him. He could have put them in prison like they put him in prison. But that's not what Paul does. Paul does not seek vengeance. Because God's people, we're not out for vengeance. We forgive those who sin against us. And at the same time, we know that people must be held accountable for their behavior when they violate the law. Verse 38 says, when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They stepped out of bounds, and now it's been brought to their attention. Verse 39, so they came to the jail and apologized to them. And they brought them out, and they begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they didn't leave the city yet. They got some... They got some equity built in now, right? They returned instead to the home of Lydia. And there they met with the believers. That's, that's the church in its infant stage in Lydia's house. And encouraged them once more. And then they left town. I love what one commentator says as he summarizes chapter 16. Listen to these words. He says, here in Acts chapter 16, we have a group of Christians who were led by the Spirit and were assertive about sharing their faith in a pagan world. They were vilified for doing good. They were seized, whipped, and imprisoned by an intolerant mob. But their spirits were unsinkable. And at the darkest point of the night, the midnight hour, they were praying and singing songs of praise to God. The magistrates could take the skin off their back, but they could not take the song from their heart. The devil could beat them physically, but he could not beat them spiritually. He could not beat the faith and love and joy out of their hearts. And so a church was planted, which became one of the strongest churches of the first century and the first church in Europe, and which later gave us a priceless gift, the epistle of the Philippians. And Lord willing, we're going to dive into Philippians next Sunday. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful today for the new opportunities that you put in front of us. New opportunities to extend your kingdom. New partners. New people in our life to do that with. New places to go and to take the good news of Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you a couple of closing questions before we go. Is God calling you today to a new journey? Is God calling you today to a new place? Is God calling you today to new people by your side? Have you said yes yet? Have you said yes yet to God's call on your life? Can I ask you another question with your heads bowed and eyes closed today? When, when we talked about Lydia today, did you think to yourself, that's me? I sit here in this place of worship just like she was that day. 
and I do this several times a month. And I like it. I like God. I kind of dig all this stuff. But I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. And I need to do that today. Or maybe today you found yourself thinking that you're more like that slave girl. Maybe you're a man or a woman, but like her, your life up to this point has been off the rails. It's been a train wreck. Some is from what people have done to you. Maybe some is because of what you've done to others. And just like God loved that girl and he set her free, he'll do the same for you. You'll trust him today. She was delivered by the power and the person who goes by the name Jesus. That same Jesus is available to you today, too. His name has just as much power today as it did that day by the river 2,000 years ago. One more question. Are you a dad today, a granddad or a husband today? Who, like the Philippian jailer, You need to say to God today, God, I want you to take my whole family. They're not mine, God, they're yours. And I want to see you move in them and through them. Mamas and wives, would you join in that prayer today? That our families would be captured by the grace of God. For the glory of God. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because God has given him the name that is above all other names. His is the only name under heaven by which we're saved. Holy Spirit, we want to not wait until that day to bow our knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. We want to do that right now today and proclaim that His name is like no other. I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord together.